0: I'd like to share with you one of the readings from Paramahansa Yogananda's book of prayers, Whispers from Eternity. And if you'd like, you can close your eyes and be more absorbed in this one. Divine Mother, be thou the only flame shining on the altar of our hearts. Burn away any darkness that lurks there. Divine Mother, be thou the only fragrance rising with the incense of our love for thee. Permeate any dark nook in the hearts also of those we love. In our tears of love for Thee, wash away what attraction we feel for material objects. In our tears of communion with Thee, wash away all the sorrows of Earth forevermore. Divine Mother, unite our separate hearts into one, one great love, wherein Thy omnipresence can rest forever and forever. Teach us to behold our latent perfection in the clear mirror of Thy divinity. Let the altar flame of our love for Thee rise in triumph, shaming the little hissing sparks of all earthly desires. O Divine Mother, may our love be a shooting star, racing gloriously through dark skies of forgetfulness, cutting its way through dark thunderclouds of worldly preoccupation. Steal softly into this silent temple, Mother. With lambent flame, banish the darkness of my long ignorance and grant me safety in thy ever-shining bliss. Om peace. So as Parvati was reading from the Rays of the One Light book, the Beatitudes are an invitation to really feel what that magnificent presence of the Divine is. And the Beatitudes come from the Sermon of the Mount, as most of us know. And it's interesting to note that generally, we talk about that all spiritual teachings are applicable to anyone, to everyone, wherever they are in their spiritual journey. But it is interesting that the Sermon on the Mount, again, where the Beatitude uh, verses come from, that Jesus was with the multitude, and then he went away from the multitude. and went up in the mountain. And when he was sat down, the close disciples came to him. And this is when he revealed these amazing teachings in the Beatitudes. So in a way, their intention was for those that were deeply attuned to finding God. Because there are nuances, uh, there are subtleties, there are layers to the Beatitudes that aren't necessarily obvious to everyone. Um, And so it's more that it's an invitation, in a sense, to explore what these teachings offer. Not so much to be from the mindset, I'm going to really get this, but more from the sense, what am I offering up into it? And there are nine Beatitudes, and several of them were read in the uh, Rays of the One Light book. But I just want to touch on a few of them, and then touch on a few other things. But blessed are the merciful, for they will be, What is it go? Blessed are the merciful because they shall find mercy. Something like that. That they shall know mercy. That the layer of understanding that's really presented here uh, really is giving us the opportunity to appreciate that in opening our hearts to this creation that we live in, to every living creature, within this creation, including Gaia, Mother Earth, itself, that what we do in that experience is become more one with it. So, being caring, being nurturing, having compassion, of weaving the essence of our hearts with the essence of the heart beating in all of creation, it actually reveals who we really are, that we are this unified sense of being. You know, I always love the fact that I think, and I may get this completely wrong, so correct me afterwards, but from what I've heard, the two uh, largest living creatures on planet Earth is one, I think, uh, mushrooms, uh, that have these networks that go for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of miles. And then I think there is a type of trees, birch trees or whatever, aspen trees, that likewise are more than what meets the eye. And that's really what the idea of being merciful is, that we bring the bounty of this connectedness to one another. We we feel that, that in that care, that compassion, we are opening our own hearts more. And the blessing comes from being uh, full of mercy in that way, always. And the same with the one that says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. That purity of being in that that experience of, of prem, of divine love, allows us to be in the love of everyone, of everyone's heart. And this comes into play because there are times when there might be behavior on some people's part that doesn't ring like a good thing. <laughs> um, even if you don't read news, I think you'll get that's what happens at times. <laughs> Um, If you read the news, you're overwhelmed by that understanding. But isn't it so that even with some of our closest friends, our closest gurubais, that for whatever karmic reasons, there can be misunderstanding or presumptions, and we move forward with those presumptions and misunderstandings? But if our hearts are open if we have the purity in our hearts, then those things will resolve themselves. They'll work out fine because we're not interjecting a critical energy around someone, even if we don't find their behavior to be appropriate. I think if all of us on this planet operated from that, it would be so different so different. We would feel the touch of that divine love, so real, both impersonally and personally, with whoever we met, and some people afar that we'll never meet. We can feel that resonance in that way. But being pure in heart means we let go of those vrittis, the whirlpools, that drag us down into the egoic control of our hearts and our consciousness, that we feel a freedom, a lightness, a purity. And these aren't just things for a few. These are for all, all people. Because inevitably, the destiny of all of us is to be one in God. Our part is to open up and take those steps. But the third one I wanted to just emphasize a little bit, of the nine Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as the children of God. That in times has made me meditate on that. It's just, it's a little bit more subtle. There's an obvious impact and understanding of it for sure, but there's a lot to that. There's a lot more subtlety and refinement uh, in all of the nine Beatitudes, but this one, uh, for whatever reason, has really come to me and asked me to find a deeper, more than usual understanding of that. Because it's not so much for peacemakers in the world at large, which is how I think a lot of people uh, interpret that in their first round of understanding it it's really signifying that those are those who are in the center of peace in their own selves because of that connection of that inner peace it results in the complete union with the divine and that's what's meant by being known as the children of god in a sense a lot of people interpret that phrase children of god as being separate from god but what's intended here is to say that a child is not separate from their parents in the deeper truth, and likewise, we're not separated from the divine, from God. We are one in that in that inner peace that is the peace of the divine in relationship to every part of creation, to every part of creation. And these are invitations, as the emphasis was from the title of the reading from of One Light, The Truth Invites, It Never Commands. And G- Jesus in the Beatitudes is saying, come join me. I was giving a class the other afternoon, Friday afternoon, to those who took the advanced pranayama program at the Expanding Light Retreat. And um, we were talking about affirmations for some of the, the yogasanas. We didn't, in this question and answer period, keep it just to the, uh, the advanced pranayamas that kind of went all over the place, the questions. But as we were talking about affirmations, someone asked me, uh, do you have a favorite affirmation? And I said, the affirmation that for the longest time rung so true with me, Swami changed it. So uh, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the beginning of this century, uh, the first few years, Gyande, who had taken over the directorship of the Yoga Teacher Training Course for Nanda, was real smart that he actually connected with Swami and asked him a number of questions and went over the affirmations with him. And so the affirmation for Ardha Matsyandrasana, which is the half-spinal twist pose, um, used to be, Come join me, friends, in my f- and share in my feast of love and joy. Come join me, friends, in my feast of love and joy. And it just rang true so deeply for me. It, it allowed me to feel that deeper sense of God's presence, but also reaching out. Because in the half-spinal twist, your body is facing forward, whether you do it seated in a cross-legged position or a kneeling position or in a chair, that you're sweeping the one arm around, and it causes the heart to be more open in that experience. So come join me, friends, in my feast of love and joy." But Swami did change it. And uh, I actually enjoy both versions. And I actually use the, um, the refined, newer version. But it's, I radiate love and goodwill to soul friends everywhere. I radiate love and goodwill to soul friends everywhere. And that's really what the teachings, the deeper teachings, whether it be the Beatitudes from the Sermon of the Mount with Jesus or the Yoga Sutras and the Yamas and Niyamas, they're, they're describing the possibility of us being one in God. And they're different aspects, they're different attributes of that oneness that we have in God. But they're descriptions of something that's already there, and we're needing to do our part to get rid of the clutter, the vrittis, which are the vortices, the whirlpools that separate us from that experience completely. And what it also does in this emphasis of an invitation is that we then have, in a very real way for each one of us, how we relate to the world through invitation.
1: I remember one time
0: with Swami Kriyananda that uh, um, there was a situation where I had, uh, this has to do with Parvati, so if I embarrass her, don't mind it. (laughs) She won't mind it because... But uh, when we first got together in our courting period, that uh, Swami had already set in motion for Parvati to move to Italy. Uh, this is before we had Assisi for Ananda as our center and it was in Lake Como in the northern part of Italy. And a number of people were asked by Swamiji to go over there. So that was in motion as we were getting together and she had a date set to go. And, um, but Swamiji invited me not to go. He said, no, I was helping to direct the um, Ananda House and Center in San Francisco um, because the great souls, Ram and Dhyan, had also gone over to Italy previous to that. Um, But we had set in motion for me after a number of months to go over there and Swamiji had, had agreed that would be the thing to do. But... There was a little bit of, um, unsettled energy, let's put it that way, in the Bay Area. We had two centers, one in San Francisco and one down in Atherton in the peninsula near what we have our center now in Palo Alto. But, so I was, of course, uh, really looking forward to going over to Italy as well. And, uh, And then in this unsettledness in our two centers with what was going on, I had this kind of feeling that, hmm. And I just wasn't sure what was needing to happen. And then I woke up one morning and it was super clear that I needed to not go to Italy and to stay and to help facilitate um, resolving some of the issues that were there in both the centers. And I phoned Swamiji almost right away uh, in the morning of the morning that I woke up with this thought. And I explained it to him and said, this is what I feel to do at this point. And he said, I'm so appreciative of that because I knew that would be the right thing, but I didn't want to impose that on you. I wanted you to find that decision from your own inner self. And Swamiji was always that way with us, that sometimes he was stronger and clear about hints uh, of where we should be going with our energy or what we should should be doing. But even then, it was always coming from the invitation. Does this feel right to you? And that's a question often I heard from Swami when he asked Parvati and myself to go off to start Seattle for Ananda Uh, or to be in Texas, or go over to a CC to help there. It was always, is this something you feel to do? Rather than saying, you have to do this. Now, several times I felt he probably uh, would like to say, you need to do this. And sometimes he would say it also that way, you need to do this. But he said, this is a point in time where you need to feel that. And maybe it's a timing of what happens, or maybe it's a a variation of what's being proposed here. But it's always from that energy that he brought forward. Of course, then I had to phone Parvati (laughs) and tell her, and she was gracious. She was just who the Parvati I've always known that uh, understood that all. But after a few months, another four months, uh, we did get together over in, uh, in Italy and uh, then we came back to the village. But even if it worked out differently, if it was a longer stretch of time or shorter stretch of time, I felt, in a sense, enveloped by that magnetism of Swami, of just offering always from His heart to our hearts. And, you know, it's something that each one of us will find easier times, and more difficult at times, depending on the karma we're dealing with. If karma is coming at you hot and heavy, sometimes it feels the willingness isn't always as strong. But all we need to do is have some willingness. You know, I don't understand this situation, you know, and you start to get into the griping mode, and then it's just... Okay, I fed that a little bit. That's all it gets. And I'm going to move towards. So, what can happen? What's, what's possible? Where can we go with this? Where can we move the energy so it finds more energy? And that more energy creates more magnetism. And that more magnetism allows us to remain centered within amidst the crash of breaking worlds. That is possible. You know, some of us, most of us, all of us, are guaranteed at some point, as we grow in our spiritual path, to have real, intense testing. You know, whether it's called, from a certain tradition in Christianity, the dark night of soul, or some other variation. But it's almost as if this is the gift, this is the invitation, I want you to come home completely. Don't rest on your laurels anywhere along the way. You can have pauses, but no resting. But to live and be in that experience of that divine flow is really the invitation from the spiritual teachings, from the great masters, and obviously from our own heart and soul. Let's meditate for a moment.
2: Nightingale Ooh.
1: I've heard your flute high on a cloud Your call I can't resist Oh, let me come and play with you We'll scatter music with the dew And sound the morning mist I've heard you piping on a hill All else I've set aside Oh, let us dance the mountain peaks We'll skip with breezes on the creeks And soar the valleys wide Has called me to the fields. Now I've no place to live. Don't send me back, rejected friend. Whatever I call mine must end. All that I am, I give. I hear your call in every tree, in every flower and stream, and sweetest melody of all. A song that heaven's joy recalls, here in my heart you see.